the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today, we take a break from our series, Finding Pleasure in God, to take a look at the Christmas gift of God. Next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Greetings and welcome to today's broadcast of Truth For Today. As we get closer to celebrating Christmas, we take time out of our series to focus in on what really took place that Christmas long ago. To do so, we'll start off in Philippians chapter 2, message simply called, He Came Down. Please join us from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Let's catch up with our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard, here in Philippians chapter 2 as we take a look at the real meaning of Christmas and the fact that our God visited us. Turn, if you will, to uh, Philippians 2, but I want to read to you a verse out of 2 Samuel 22 that I think really sprung me into Philippians at this Christmas time. David is writing a song thanking God for how God has led him, kept him, overcome his enemies, all that he's been through. And he says something in Psalms 18 as well as 2 Samuel 22. He says something in verse 36. Listen to it. I'm using an NIV today because the Philippians passage is so amplified by it. Verse 36, you make your saving help my shield. Your help has made me great. Is that what your Bible says? Get that? Does your Bible have a footnote on uh, your help? Anybody have a footnote? Okay, I've read in some translations, it, it reads, you stoop down to make me great. And so I was curious about that. I looked it up. It's the Hebrew word to bow down, to be humbled, to be afflicted. And so what David is saying, he's giving tribute to God. You stoop down to this boy you took from the sheepfold. This boy that his own dad didn't call to the roll call when Samuel came down and said, I'm looking for someone to put in the office. I'm going to anoint someone. His own dad said, I don't have any more boys. And Samuel said, you've got to have another boy. Nobody's come in front of me so far as the man. And contrary to everything, Jesse's baby boy comes out, not even called to the roll call. He's out here. David said, I've survived a thousand arrows, a thousand enemies, and I'm on the throne of Israel in the city of Jerusalem. And the reason it is, is he stooped down to make me great. He came down. Now, let's look at the New Testament, what it says. 
we go to Philippians 2, and I begin at verse 1, where Paul, in a book where he's writing it from a prison cell, is talking about the joy he has in God as a believer, which tells you your joy shouldn't be based on your circumstances. It ought to be based on something deeper than that. And he's exhorting this church. They must be having a little bit of fussing going on among them. Something, any church needs this kind of exhortation. And look what he does. In the midst of exhorting the church to the kind of community attitude we ought to have toward one another, in exhorting them, he goes to this grand theology that he begins to... It's a regular song that was written in verses 5 through 11, really. We're going to look at verses 5 through 8. But he says this to this community of believers. How are you thinking? How do you think towards one another? What do you think about yourself? What do you think about others, brother, sister, the community you're in? What do you think about God? And he's going to say, I'm going to tell you how God wants you to think. You know, I think how we think about ourselves. We either, we could be groveling, we could uh, uh, be a person, I have no worth, and we could just bury ourselves, or we could be, uh, we think we're better than everybody else. Because when you look at yourself, do you see yourself better than everybody else? Equal to everybody else? Less? Whatever. Then, what do you think about people? Well, everybody's an idiot. Nobody's smart as me. Nobody's this is me. Nobody else. You, you start knocking people. They're not this. They're not that. And here we go. Degrading. That's why we love gossip. We love to make the other person look bad. Because that makes us look good. And so it's a, it's a dangerous uh, trap to fall into. Did you know what? He could be the worst person in the world. It doesn't make you any better. I mean, you're, you're still what you are, and maybe you need to make some improvements, but as long as I'm reading the one at list over here, I look pretty good. And then, what do you think of God? Tozer said the greatest thing that is revealed about a man is what he thinks of God. When God comes up, what image does he come up with? So, listen to what he says. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ— And it's an if that is a since idea. Since you really have been encouraged by being united with Christ. Since there is comfort from his love. Since you're holding common the Holy Spirit. You all share in the Spirit. Since you've tasted of the tenderness and compassion of God. Then make my joy complete. By being like-minded. A lot of people are afraid of that. Are you like-minded with fellow believers? Or one's a Democrat and another's a Republican? Is that what the like-mindedness is? That we're all dittos of each other's thinking? No, no. That we all buy the same kind of car? We'd all fight over the same woman because we all like the same gal. No, no. He's not talking about dittos. He's not talking about we all have to think the same thing about life in general. But as the believing community, when you have these things in common, the Spirit, 
the tenderness of God, the compassion of God. God God has loved us all to the same degree. We are a redeemed community. We ought to be thinking with that kind of, God sure loves you. God has put his spirit in you. God has pulled you out. Instead of running down, devaluing, why don't we start thinking more like how God thinks of each other? How does God value that person? So, he goes on to say, uh, I wish you'd be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Then he's counteracting these negative attitudes. This is what he doesn't want us to do. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. And you want to pause and laugh. Who do you know that is being motivated by anything but ambition for themselves as a whole? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Hey, I'm here for me. I'm not here for you. What's in it for me? And he says, I I don't want you to do anything out of selfish ambition. And this word literally meant to politic for votes. That's the way the word was used. It was to party for votes, to get a following, to get your way. It goes on, or vain conceit, and it means empty. It's just uh, a swollen head over false appraisal of yourself. He goes on, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. This is so convicting. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Now, as soon as you read that, you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every group, every religion has a bunch of moralisms. You ought to do this. This is nice. Oh, that's a nice little phrase. And you say, you know what the other religions don't have? They can make up moral codes, but they don't have a Savior. They don't have anyone in their system that models what he just exhorted. And above all, who could call their God forward and say, my God will teach you to be humble. My God will teach you to live for others and not for himself. You got to be kidding. To be God is everything's for you. You bring a sacrifice for me. You bring something for me. And all of a sudden, he's going to reveal this God. This is not a getting God. This is a giving God. He, he dispossessed himself of everything he can give to reach us. Now, he starts in verses 5 through really the whole, uh, through verse 11. But he's going to start telling us how God wants us to think. He commands it in verse 5. Let this attitude be in you. The let is weak. It's an imperative. I'm commanding you. Be thinking this way all the time. Think this way. What way? Well, you heard me just exhort you, but he doesn't go there. I'm commanding you to think just like your Savior. Think like he thought. All right. Since I can't mind read, how how did Christ think about himself? And he goes back to his pre-existence, and he starts telling you something. First of all, who being in very nature God. I like that translation because the word form, he was in the form of God. Form is a Greek word that means to have the essential qualities of whatever you say it's in the form of. He's going to use this of the slave. 
And he had the essential qualities of a slave. And he had the essential qualities of God. Why? Because he is God. And he's had all the qualities of being God. And in very nature, he's that way. And notice, he did not consider this equality with God something that he would take advantage of. And there's various translations. Robbery, which is not even close to this. Common one is to grasp. He, he didn't try to hold on to being God. He can never cease to be God. He's already God. But what did he do? I am not a self-aggrandizing God. I'm not a God living to get myself more. I'm not living to conquer more. I've already got it all. You can't get any higher than I am. I am the creator supreme being. But in me, you'll find the attitude I want you to live among people with. And what is that? God, in eternity past, made stars, planets, universes. What? How did you think? There's never been a time from eternity on that I was out to gain more for myself. Never. From eternity past, there was no self-getting in me, no conceit in me. I didn't exist for myself. I'm not a getting, grasping God. I'm a giving God. And he goes on. Rather, he made himself nothing. Now, how do you make yourself nothing? How can you cease to be what you are? How do I say, well, I just want to be nothing. A guy came to Howard Hendricks years ago and said, Howie, pray the Lord would just make me nothing. And Hendricks said, take it by faith, man. You are nothing. <laughs> take it by faith. You're so impressed with yourself. Just pray I'll be nothing. Take it by faith. He said he emptied himself and the debate. There are pa- there's commentaries that will spend 100 pages just discussing verse 5 through 8. 100 pages. Great scholars. They've debated over the word that's known as kenosis. It's a word that means to empty. I like the translation that the NIV gives to it. He made himself nothing. The idea is this. By the time Christ completed his earthly journey, and he goes back to heaven, I think what the better illustration is, because theologians ask, what did he empty himself of? Did he empty himself of his attributes? Did he empty him? It, it doesn't qualify. Does it need an adjective? Does it need to be qualified? What he's saying is, by the time I went back to heaven, as a person, there was nothing left in the bottle. Everything I could pour out for a lost world to show them I love them and I'm willing to be spent for them. When I got back to heaven, I was empty. There's nothing left. I just, I was poured out. I didn't hold back a drop. I'm the emptying God. I'm the God who poured myself into coming to mankind. 
I knew I'd be rejected before I came. Matter of fact, I knew I'd be slain because I knew from the foundation of the world, if I go to them, they're going to kill me. I know that. You know, the landowner, it was time to collect the rent. And he sent his servants. And the first time, they beat up a few. The second time, they killed guys. And finally, the owner of the property trying to get his rent, he said, oh, there's a big mistake going on. They don't understand. I'll send my son. And when the heir comes, they'll surely pay the rent to him. And they killed him and threw him outside the vineyard. And it says here, I'm on a mission to be emptied. You don't know if this kind of philosophy could survive American living, the human race. Dog eat dog. Beat the competition. Beat. Be better. Beat. Show them. You can't do that to me. I, I see people. You know what's the biggest problem with men is pride. This proverb says all contentions come out of pride. Pride. I didn't get my way. I didn't get my view. I didn't get, well, why is everything you? Why is it me? Because we're, we're born conceited from the womb. We're born in a selfish world. Just watch kids in the nursery. I mean, I, I, you know, we've raising children, especially grandchildren. Just, you can have ten toys around, and if a child comes in there, you think about sharing not the, no, the hoarding starts it, protecting what's mine. All of, where did you get that? It's innate to human nature to get, to be better. To be poured out, you've got to be kidding. And yet he said, I want you to think like Christ. His thinking is the only one kind of thinking that can run a Christian community of believers. And believers are not always easy to get along with. Look at yourself. That's why marriage is so hard on us. We get a mirror that is hard, that reflects back things we don't want to know about us. See, most people don't know themselves, and they really don't want to know the truth about themselves. They just want to be flattered. That's why we have so few friends. Friends give permission to tell the truth and say, no thanks, flattery will do. Flattery will do. Who will you allow in your life to tell you the truth and not write them off? And that's what the hardest part of married life. You see people going in with, you know, stars in their eyes and within six months it's sand in their eyes. And they say, wow, what done happened to this chick I was dating? She's telling you the truth. You've got ways of doing things that just drive her crazy. Unless you beat her or suppress her, and pretty soon you see those marriages where the one partner's been closed down, you dare not say what I don't want to hear. And we call that marriage. No, it's, uh, it's oppression. He said, uh, being found... In his humility, what did he do? He made himself nothing. Well, how how does that look like? He took the nature of a slave. 
is stronger than just servant. They had two kinds of servants. They had paid servants, and you had owned slaves. A hundred million slaves uh, wasn't American slavery. Many times the slaves were the tutors of your children. They could run your estate. Sometimes they could become the heir of the estate because they brought many brilliant people from the nations they conquered. They brought them to Rome, brought them to the headquarters, turned them into servants, teachers. So there was some dignity, but they still were owned. They didn't get to vote. The will of the master determined their existence and what they did. And so it's the idea that even Paul said, first of all, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, and an apostle in the will of God. Let me ask you and I, if we were to write down a biography of you, could we start it off as saying, uh, so-and-so, first characteristic, owned, controlled, guided, instructed, serving as a slave owned by Jesus Christ. Would that describe you? It ought to be the description of every one of us. Don't, don't call him pastor. That's a spiritual gift and function in this body. It ought to be, first of all, I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I? Am I that way my attitude, or am I a reverend that I demand a lot of respect? Oh, baloney. Keep your titles. Keep your titles. Keep your man worship to yourself. I'm going to stand before him. He's going to ask, did you act like a pompous, uh, superior clergyman, or did you live like an owned, bought man at the cross? Are you owned? Who do you belong to? Clergy titles are worthless in that day. It's, does he own you? And here Christ says, I came to do the will of the Father. I'm simply a servant. And it comes right out of Isaiah 40, about 45 to 55. He's described as the suffering, serving, servant, slave of God. He said, I made myself nothing. He told the disciples, don't follow me if you ever want to get wealthy. I don't have any place to sleep. Jesus was homeless most of the time. He went to Mary and Martha's house and Lazarus. They kept him the most probably. He had no house. He said, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. I have nowhere. For Let's go to uh, Gethsemane. We could sleep there tonight under the olive trees. This is God on the earth, homeless. God. He's a scandal to own him in the Greek world of this day. This is your God? You can't even own a piece of property? And when it comes time for him to die, the only thing he had worth gambling over was the garment his mother made. Surely, God, you know more about finances than that. I didn't come to be rich. Matter of fact, I gave up my riches and took on poverty that I might make you rich. He became poor that he might make you rich. 
Everything I've got coming with heaven and everything I got in salvation, I got through the poverty of the Son of God. Nothing more miserable than counting money and not having a relationship with anybody you love. And here God said, I had all that. But you were worth more to me than staying there. I came. I came down. I came down to rescue you. This is what Christmas is all about. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We have been focusing today on the Christmas message as found in Philippians chapter 2. And if you'd like a copy, we'd love to send one to you. Simply call and ask. You can reach us at 800-833-9864. Again, that's 800-833-9864. You're also welcome to visit our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And then, as we conclude our time together today, we would send out a special invitation to join us for special Christmas services. Saturday evening, the 24th, 7 to 8 p.m., Bring the whole family, celebrate the birth of Jesus with us, and then only one service Sunday morning at 10 a.m., service for the whole family. There won't be nursery or classes available, but we'll have a marvelous time worshiping and celebrating the birth, the first advent of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Details and directions can be found on our website, truthfortodayradio.org, or by calling 855 833 9864. Directions and, again, more information on our website, truthfortodayradio.org, or by simply calling us. If you're writing to us for further information about the ministry, maybe you have a prayer request, a comment about the program, maybe you'd like to partner with us financially, knowing that this broadcast is presented daily on this station through your financial partnership. Feel free to write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Truth For Today.